Good morning. He is risen. Oh, come on now. That was a warm-up. You've had a few, right? No doubt about it. On Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we do say that. And we say that with incredible sense of peace and assurity and truth because it is true. He is alive. He is alive. This is a day for all Christians uh, across the globe to celebrate, as I mentioned in my prayer. And it's, it's pretty incredible of all the things we celebrate this day, the truth of the resurrection. Without it, if you, if you remove that, we wouldn't be here the rest of the year. Our faith would be nothing. Actually, it would be just like all the other faiths out there that don't have a Savior. But we do. And that's what sets us apart, what Christianity apart, is the fact that our Savior is alive and risen today. I don't know if you remember this song. Up on the screen you can see it. It was a song, a hymn that I heard in our church, but more often it was sung as a special number. There was a gentleman in the church, and when I first moved here in Wauseon in 1989, a gentleman by the name of Ed Perry, who at the church that I attended, he sang this song often. And with his deep voice, you know, as he sang, you know, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? That part where it says, oh, sometimes it causes his deep voice to tremble, tremble. And he got really low. I mean, I can't even get there, okay? But I mean, it was like, you just sort of felt like that trembling going on. Like you were there. It was a song that I truly uh, enjoyed listening to Ed sing and a song that I enjoyed singing as well. But this song, um, I don't know if you ever thought about it. What if you were there? Obviously we can't, but rewind a couple thousand years. What if you were there when they crucified Jesus Christ? Where would you be standing? What would be going on in your thought process? The sights, the sounds, the smells the things that have taken place around you, how, how would that be? There was one great artist who was moved during the time of the Reformation. And during that time, spiritually, God got a hold of him. And he took this thought, sort of what we heard in this song, and he expressed it in art. His name was Rembrandt. And Rembrandt had many flaws, and some people would say that in many ways his life was a tragedy. But one author by the name of Francis Schaeffer said this. He was still a true Christian who believed in the death of Christ for him personally. And one of Rembrandt's famous paintings is called The Raising of the Cross. You may have seen it before, maybe not. But the, the painting is very sobering. The picture there, as you can see, has Christ smack dab in the middle. Nailed to the cross. The cross is being raised. Soldiers are lifting it up. But I don't know if you notice in the painting, there's a man at the feet of Jesus. And he's wearing a blue painter's beret. Obviously, this is not somebody from the first century. But there he stands, blended in with the rest of the scenery, lifting the cross with the others. And who is this man, we ask? It was Rembrandt himself. He had painted himself into this picture. He placed himself at the foot of Jesus being hoisted and crucified. For many uh, 
people trying to figure out why would he do that. We maybe don't know the exact reason, but a lot of people believe that Rembrandt was telling everybody, I'm a sinner, just like everyone else. And it was my sins that caused him to be crucified. And it was my sins that caused him to be raised up on that cross. In a sense, Rembrandt was impacted by the gospel of the reformers and then decided as a wretched sinner himself to paint a picture of what it would have been like had he been there at the cross. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? No, I wasn't. But if, like Rembrandt, we could paint ourselves into that picture, which character would you portray? Who would you be in that picture? Where would you be standing? Would you be like Rembrandt, who is a sinner who is lost in need of being saved? Would you be one who is saying, you know what, I'm having a hard time with trusting God right now and his plans, because I like my plans and his plans don't make sense? Is that where you would be at the cross? Maybe you would be one who is feeling hopeless, desperately seeking. And you stand there and you look and you think, what's next? Such as the disciples. If you would, grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. As we go through this morning and celebrate Easter and, and this message, I want us to place ourselves at the cross. Think of the resurrection, what took place, and realize that if you listen carefully, there will be an invitation for you. We'll see where we fit in. In the book of Luke, chapter 23, Verse 32, it says, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When to, they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross. The criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now, we know from history that on the day Jesus was crucified, he wasn't alone. We can read this in Scripture. Right? It wasn't just pictures that we've seen portrayed, but we read in Scripture about the truth that there were three crosses that day, and on each side of Jesus was a common thief. No names, no background on what these guys did. We don't have any kind of rap sheet. They're, all we know is that one time they messed up. And their crime was great enough to be put on a cross. And we also know that while they were on the cross, one of them had a conversation with Jesus. We know from history that even though there isn't much about the life of these men that were there we would do what everybody else would do. We'd be pretty quick to be judgmental and saying this is why they deserved it. You know, you do something bad, you deserve a punishment, right? And it seems in the Bible, we found Jesus always next to those people. If you go through and you look at any encounter Jesus had, it was somebody who was blind, or maybe they had leprosy or some kind of sickness, some kind of disease. Maybe they were a prostitute, a tax collector, their sin was so deep that you thought, how could... Jesus, hang out with somebody like that, right? No matter who they were, it seemed like they shouldn't be next to Jesus. But that's where we always found Jesus was next to these people. And isn't it ironic then that on the cross, in his last hours on this earth, as the Son of God, that he finds himself next to similar people. 
imperfect people. And there they are, next to the King of Kings. As you see what unfolds next, you have to ask yourself, how did these men next to Jesus respond? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, verses 39, and then we'll also then be going to Luke 23. It says, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their hands in mockery at Jesus. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then, if you're the son of God, save yourself. Come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders, they also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we'll believe in him. Verse 43. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Look at verse 44. Even the revolutionaries, the thieves, the criminals who were crucified with him ridiculed him the same way. Can you believe that? Here's two men, guilty as they could be, on a cross, dying, and they have the goal, they have the audacity to look over at Jesus and ridicule him as well. To make fun of him. Why not? Everybody else seems to be joining in. Giving their shots, right? Well, we discover in Matthew that both these criminals, as they taunted Jesus, most likely they, they probably knew about Jesus. They'd maybe heard of his teachings before. But joining in with everybody else to mock him? Really? But during those six hours on the cross, something changed. I'm not sure what. We don't really have evidence of what or how this happened. But in every moment that they were on that cross, they had to sort of lift themselves up so they could inhale to exhale. And during those six hours with every breath, something happened. And one of those thieves looked at Jesus. And he started to change. Maybe it was as he looked at Jesus and he saw the endurance of Jesus, everybody yelling at him, everybody screaming at him. The beating, the scourging, the whips, the crown of thorns that were just jammed into his skull, blood-covered face, but yet still saying nothing as people taunted him. Maybe that criminal looked at that and said, his endurance, that's impressive. Maybe it was when Jesus looked at his mother. Mary was at the foot of the cross. He looked down and said, Woman, this is your son, and son, this is your mother. Take care of each other. And he, he spoke to them and with love and selfless love. On the cross, dying, and yet he's still reaching out to his mom. Maybe that's what hit the thief. And the thief thought, there's something different about this man. I, I don't know. Maybe it was the prayer of Jesus on the cross. In the book of Luke... Chapter 23, it says this in verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. It says the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really the Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above Jesus with these words. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging on his side 
said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But then, the other criminal, the one we said that something happened in him, suddenly stood up for Jesus. Verse 40, it says this, but the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our sins, for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise. In that painful moment, Jesus answered the plea of that second criminal. In that painful moment, Jesus responded. Because we need to remember that as Jesus was on the cross, as he had to push himself up to inhale, he had to exhale in talking to him. And in the pain of the words, he forgave him. Jesus answered that criminal far beyond his expectation. That thief had a distance somewhere, time off and who knows when, but Jesus said what? Today. Remember them? Remember what he said? Remember me? And Jesus said, today. Today. That thief also asked to be what? Remembered. If you just remember me, Jesus said, no, 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 today you'll be with me. And where did he say? He said, maybe off in your kingdom. And Jesus said, no, no, today you'll be with me in paradise. That thief got more than what he asked for. Like this criminal, aren't we any different? Church, aren't we any different? Haven't we sinned too? Haven't we messed up? Haven't we made mistakes? Isn't that what drew us to Jesus? When we see his holiness and we see our sinfulness and we realize what a mess we are and we need somebody to save us, just like that criminal? Paul says in Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Luke 15, 7 says this, and you might maybe remember the stories of these parables. Jesus tells a couple of stories about a woman who lost a coin and about a shepherd who lost one sheep and then about a father who lost a son. And it's the story of all these lost things. And Jesus shares that when each of those things are found, how important it is. And then Jesus equates to what is being found as being a person who is found. A person who is lost. A person who does not know who Jesus Christ is. And then they are found. And Jesus says there's much rejoicing. Luke 15, 7 says, In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are Righteous in heaven straight away. If there were 99 of us in this room who love Jesus, God would be happy with that. But if there is one person in this room who doesn't know Jesus and says, God, I am sorry that I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Would you come into my life? I place my faith in you. You know what happens? A party breaks out in heaven. A party breaks out in heaven. And there's much rejoicing, it says. When one, when one comes to know Jesus, there is rejoicing. Now, As I'm reading that verse, those were the words of Jesus. I'm thinking about this. That thief is that one. 
And in that moment, he seeks repentance from Jesus Christ. Remember me when you go into your kingdom. Oh, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Forgiveness granted. That's an act of grace. He did not deserve it, and God gave it to him. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about this? I did not think about this until as I was studying this more and more. And I was thinking about Luke 15, 7, how there's much rejoicing over one sinner. The angels stop whatever they're doing, and they throw a party. They get excited, right? Now think about this moment. Christ is on the cross. The thieves are here. It is dark. It is horrific. It is a horrible thing going on. The angels are probably viewing in from heaven, watching what's unfolding. They are probably hurting. God knows what's going to happen. But as these angels are looking down, this thief looks over at Jesus and asks for forgiveness, and Jesus forgives him. What do you think the angels do? What? Did you see that? Party. And there was celebration, right? What, what would our human mind think? Oh, no, they can't party over there. That was a thief. He just made fun of Jesus a few hours earlier, right? No, no, that's the grace of God. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve a relationship with the God of this universe, but he gives it to us. Do you ever think about one of the most dark, horrific times there was rejoicing in heaven for a little bit as that one came to know Jesus? That's incredible. To me, that is incredible. And like that thief, we've been given the promise of eternal life. Church, were you there when they crucified my Lord? If you were to paint yourself into that picture, here's the first invitation, the first picture. It would be one of us who is in need of a Savior. Standing at that cross, realizing how sinful we are, how holy He is. And we need somebody to save us from our sins. That's the first invitation. We have a God who saves us. We have a God who saves us. Now let me move on to the second thought. What if... God's plans are not your plans. There's another person who was at the cross that, that day. One who had to be deeply confused. I mean, this person, as she's sitting here, seeing what's going on, she had to be thinking, this was not part of the plan, right, God? That was the mother of Jesus, Mary. As a mom, to see her son in that situation, she had to be thinking, this is the plan? This, this can't be the plan, Right? She saw her son's body shredded and beaten. She heard the people's cry to crucify him. How did it come to this? How did it get to the scene that was so horrific? Did she flash back during those six hours and maybe even earlier, thinking back to when he was born, his infancy, when he was a toddler, maybe when he was running around the house playing, Maybe one of his brothers tripped and fell and cut himself, and Jesus said, oh, let me see that, and boom, he healed him. I don't know. Maybe he's at this carpenter shop with his dad making things. And Mary just kept thinking back to all that, and now she sees this. The wood that he once carved was the wood that now he was nailed to. The Romans, boy, they knew how to kill. They knew how to torture. I mean, when they wanted to maximize your pain and humiliation, they put you on a cross. And Jesus began with such hope. Isaiah said, and they will call him what? They will call him mighty, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We read that verse back at Christmas, right? Because at Christmas, what a wonderful time. Don't we love Christmas? It's such a joyful time. We celebrate, it seems like, for a month. And we get all fired up, so excited about Christmas. 
Because it's hope, it's love, it's peace, it's joy. It's Jesus being born. It's exciting. And do you think Mary in this moment flashes back to all that? Mary's thinking, I remember when the angel came to me and gave that angelic announcement that I was going to have a baby. I'm just a teenager. I can't have a baby. And he's going to be the son of God. Oh, that had to be scary for her. I'm sure she sat there as a pregnant teenage girl thinking, this is the plan, God? Really? This can't be the plan. But it was God's plan. And she had that baby born in a stable. What kind of plan is that? Chased by a murderous king? What kind of plan is that? You know, our plans never go as we think they should, right? Matter of fact, if we were to, to today, i say, go home, get a blank piece of paper, notebook, start writing a book about yourself. Put in all the chapters of your life and make sure you put an ending to it. I would guess that 99.9%, if not 100% of you would write and I live happily ever after. Sort of been ingrained by that by Disney, haven't we? Who wouldn't want a great ending to a story? We all want a great ending to a story of our life, right? And maybe that's what Mary was thinking. Like, there's got to be a good ending, right? Our stories have awesome endings. But now the story doesn't look so happily ever after as Jesus has to pick up that cross beam, place it on his shoulders, and walk through the crowded streets of Via de la Rosa as it's a walk of shame and humiliation as people continue to taunt and as he heads out to be crucified. And Mary has to watch all of this. And maybe she flashes back to when the shepherds came and the shepherds brought all this joy and excitement and the wise men came and they brought gifts. And then she took baby Jesus and she went to the temple to Simeon and Simeon took baby Jesus and blessed him and gave him back to Mary. But now she sees people not giving and praising and blessing. They see cursing and mocking. This can't be the plan, right? Church, let me share this with you. We can't see things as God sees things. We are not the ones on the throne. So we cannot look down from heaven and see the full picture. I don't know if you've ever seen maybe a beautiful tapestry of like a Persian rug, a tapestry, and, it, and on the one side, you see the beauty of that rug, but if you flip it around the other side, you see the loose ends, the frays that are sticking out. See on one side the beauty, on the other side the flaws. And we display what for everybody to see the beauty, right? But we know on the flip side what's there. A lot of times in our life, all we see are the flaws, but God sees the beauty. God looks down from heaven and goes, I've got a plan if you just look at the beauty of it. Right now, you're seeing the flaws. You're seeing the backside of that rug right now. And I get it. It's not beautiful. And as they arrived at Golgotha and Jesus was placed on the cross and he stretched his body across the beam, all Mary can see is the flaws. Mary's not seeing God's plan. The nails are driven, the screams, the tears. It's not what Mary planned. She knelt at the foot of the cross. She watches her son die. What's her thoughts? They're gambling for his clothes. Did she flash back to when maybe she's the one who made those clothes and she gave them to Jesus when he was younger? And now she's looking at the clothes that she gave to Jesus now being gambled away by these soldiers. Why would God allow this? How does it come to this? What about the promises of God? You know, the other morning we were in Columbus um, and I was on our way, we were on our way to take a route we'd never taken before. 
We'd stayed overnight at a hotel. Colin was going to have surgery early in the morning. We had to be at the hospital at 6 in the morning. And so as we left the hotel, I was thinking, boy, it's Good Friday. And not that I could equate myself with how God felt about his son, but I'm sitting there thinking about me and my son. And I don't want my son to go through this pain. I'll do anything to take the pain for him, but I can't. He has to endure it. In the same way, God was probably on that Good Friday saying, I'd love to take your pain, son, but I can't. You have to endure it. And so as I'm uh, getting in the vehicle, and Jenny's getting in the vehicle, and Colin's in there, and we start heading out of the hotel, I turn the GPS on. I go right, GPS says go left. No, I'm going my way, right? Anybody ever do that before with a GPS? You've got that little voice talking to you, and you're like, "Mm mm-mm. I know the way there. At least I thought I knew the way there. Well, I did what you're not supposed to do in Columbus. I'll warn you all now. Make sure you don't do it. Um, U-turns are illegal in Columbus anywhere. Anywhere, okay? So I confess to you today that I made a U-turn, okay? Sinner in need of Jesus, okay? So as I'm going down this four-lane highway, it's dark, it's 6 in the morning. Actually, before that yet, so 5.30 or something. And, I'm, and that little voice is like, turn around, recalculate, you know, and all this kind of, whatever, okay. So I whipped across four lanes. There's nobody on the road. It's dark. I pull into the gas station and like, okay, either this GPS is wrong or I'm wrong. Anybody want to guess who's wrong? <laughs> I was wrong. But see, here's the thing. I wanted to go my way. I wanted to be Right. I wanted my directions to be correct. But you know what? Sometimes they aren't. Isn't that the way it is in life? We want it our way. But yet that GPS says, no, no, it's that way. God, I don't want to go your route because I think this is the better way. But God says, no, 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 this is the right way. Just like life. I want to avoid the pain. I want to go the other direction. But God says, I'm sorry, but this is the direction you're going. Trust me, trust me, trust me. How do I move forward? How do I move forward when God's plans aren't clear for me? I look at Mary at the cross and realize like Mary, she was there learning to trust God in his ultimate plan even though she couldn't see the end. How about you? See, the resurrection gives me hope that I have a Savior. The resurrection gives me hope that there's a God I can trust. Church, how about you? In your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. As we continue on in that moment on the cross, Jesus shouted out again and released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, top, bottom. Earth shook, rocks split apart, tombs opened. Bodies of many godly men and women who had died had raised from the dead. When Jesus died, the earth like shook in pain. It was like, this is real. This wasn't just an ordinary man. Even the soldiers knew this wasn't an ordinary man. Look then now in the book of Luke. Go forward a couple books here in Matthew. Go to Mark, go to Luke, chapter 23. Verse 44, it says this, By this time it was about noon, darkness fell across the whole land, it was 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. Suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last breath. 
when the Roman officer seeing the overseeing the execution saw what happened. This is what it says. He worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. All the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what happened. They went home in deep sorrow. Church, this is what happened. The skies got dark. In the middle of the afternoon, all hope is lost, right? Jesus is dead. He's buried. Followers, they've lost hope. They're fearing for their lives. They're running back to their homes, locking themselves up. They've given everything to follow this man. Everything. They left their homes. They left their jobs to follow Jesus. Now they don't know what to do. They're feeling hopeless. Hopelessness is like a curse word, isn't it? Maybe you feel hopeless because of something's going on in your life right now. Maybe somebody's left you. Maybe you're in a relationship and you feel hopeless. Maybe finances are to the, where, to the point where they are now. It's like, I don't know. I don't see a way out. My finances seem hopeless. Maybe you sit over a casket and you say, this just seems hopeless. We are overcome with the feeling of hopelessness from many things. And disciples at this point in time felt hopeless. That's how Mary Magdalene must have felt. She walked to the tomb that morning. That resurrection morning. If we could rewind over 2,000 years ago, this day, Mary walked to the tomb with that hopeless feeling. And as she walked to the tomb to finish the embalming process, because of the Sabbath they couldn't finish, she gets to the tomb the it's, it's opened up. The stone's rolled away. That shouldn't be, right? And she's wondering what she's going to find. See, Mary was pretty special. Mary Magdalene. She was once possessed by seven demons, it says. Jesus found her and healed her. And from then on, she followed Jesus. Because he changed her life. So now... She's going all the way to the end of the story because she thought this was the end of the story. But it isn't. Church, this part of the story is where all other religions stop. We keep going because you see there's a different ending to the story. There's a resurrection. Our Savior is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. All other religions all other founders of all the religions, they're still in their tombs. They're still buried. Ours isn't. Our Savior's tomb, the stone was rolled away. It was empty on the inside because he was resurrected. You know, while he was Jesus being on earth, he claimed to forgive sins. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed he would die, and three days later he'd come back to life. Guess what? Everything he said he did, I don't know about you, but if there was a person that got up here and he claimed to be Jesus, okay, and he has all these things, he teaches all these incredible things, he performs all these great miracles, and he says, three days, I'll be in a tomb, then I'll come back to life. Oh, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be made fun of. Matter of fact, John 10, 17 and Mark 10, 33, both scriptures, Jesus shares this with his disciples. What's going to happen to him? And then it happened. And then he rose from the dead, just like he said. If that man, that son of God, Jesus Christ, stood here today, he told you all this, and then he did it, wouldn't you follow him? Wouldn't you be amazed? That's our Savior. That's Jesus. What he said he did. What he promises we can believe. I want to read something to you. It's, it's from the Message Bible. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians. 
Now let me ask each of you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say there's no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we told you is smoke and mirrors. Everything you've stacked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits are passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ. Sheer fabrications if there's no resurrection. Listen very carefully. Paul goes on to say this. If corpse corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ in the resurrection, because they're already in the graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is, let me hear you say, but the truth is, But the truth is, Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Let me read that again. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Every cemetery around here, with a believer of Jesus Christ, they'll be emptied out. So you're feeling hopeless? Are you feeling hopeless, church? If you're feeling hopeless, then you haven't placed your hope in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is alive. That's where we place our hope. In one who is resurrected. In one who said something and then did it. He followed up with it. The story didn't end at the cross or at the empty tomb. There at the gravesite, Mary and her distraught, she found hope. As Jesus rose from the dead that early Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene. Turn in your Bibles to John 20. This is our last scripture we're going to look at. John chapter 20. Verse 11, Mary's standing outside the tomb crying. And then she wept. She stood and she looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they put him. She turned to leave. And now somebody was standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned him and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brother and tell him I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Church, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Which person would you be? Would you be like the thief who is in need of a Savior? Today's your day to ask for forgiveness, to find hope in a new life. Are you like Mary who didn't understand maybe the plans of God, but you're going to trust God because you have a God who's trustworthy? That's me. That's my story. So I prepared this message for a week. I was like, I needed to hear that one more than anything because... I've been frustrated with the plans of God. But I have to trust the plans of God. Because He is God. Or are you like Mary Magdalene, who found hope? Church, we have a Savior who is resurrected. 
when we experience Easter, we're proclaiming it's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Our death is not final because his death was not final. Our hurts are not final because the resurrection happened. Our pains, our frustrations are not final because the resurrection happened. Rejoice like Mary rejoiced. Rejoice like the disciples rejoiced. He is risen. He is alive. He is alive. Amen? Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for being an awesome and amazing God. God, I know if I could paint myself into that portrait, if I was at the cross, I'd probably be like Mary. I'd be asking uh, God, this isn't my plans. This isn't what I thought the way it should go. But because you are a God who loves us, because you are a God who forgives us and gives us grace beyond our understanding, because of your incredible love and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, today I have hope. As does everybody else in this room. We have a Savior. We have a God we can trust. We have a God who gives us hope when we feel hopeless. So God, today we thank you for your risen son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can celebrate this truth. God, as we sing this song to you, may you be honored, may you be glorified. It's all about you. It's not about us. So God, meet us us where we're at right now. As we sing to you, some of us may just need to pray to you work in our hearts, God. Forgive us. Help us trust you. Help us to find our hope in you. In thy name we pray. Amen.